Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even the speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is Tom Marvin, Senior Technical Editor here at BikeRadar.com and the MBUK Magazine. Joining me in the podcast today is Warren Roster. He's our Senior Road Technical Editor. How's it going, Warren? Oh, good. Thanks, mate. Excellent stuff. And we also have Rob Weaver, who's our Technical Editor-in-Chief. How's it going, Rob? I'm good, thanks, Tom. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, good. Yeah. What have we both been up to uh, recently, what Warren? What have we been what doing? What we've all been up to. Well, what have we all been doing? Because, okay, yeah. <laughs> there is um, Yeah, I'm into, the, I'm into the meat of... Um, uh, bike of the year testing yeah so and my remit this year is gravel bikes uh-huh. endurance bikes yeah you know, both my particular favorite sort of types of bikes to ride and um and also kind of urban e-bikes which cool. uh, is for on those lazy days in between big road or gravel rides yeah i'm still getting out there and uh, that's great you know doing the shopping it's a good it's a good um category to be doing for bike of the year i think yeah i definitely think so i think so you know i i just uh, you know i love that idea of of that sort of e-bike is transport replaces yeah. a car yeah and that's great you know and i think that's you know we should all be looking to do to reduce mm. reduce our footprint on the road and and you know I, I i mean i've found over the last few years that i can do pretty much everything i i need to do on an e-bike yeah you know to the point where we got rid of one of our cars because mm. never used it it was an ornament on the drive so yeah 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 you know. oh happy days yeah um and it raz passed me on the Ride home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should do a bike of the year on ride share bikes. So we'll do Tier, Boris bikes, and uh, what's the what's, <laughs> yeah. one of them as well? Yeah, what's the one in? What's one in Bath? Is it Loop? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. There's Bird and oh, Lime. Lime. Yeah, I was going to say Lime. Yeah. Yeah. Is that just London? Yeah. Uh, no, Lime's all over the world. It's massive. Yeah. Oh, is it? So Go to Paris a... and do the Velib. 
Yeah. Yeah. I did that I did that when the, the Boris bikes launched. Oh, we right. hired a Boris bike in, in London yeah. and took it on Eurostar to Paris and raced around Paris against the Velo. Got a, got a phone call from TFL after through a day asking if we'd stolen a bike. <laughs> so yeah, we'd taken it to Paris. Bring it back, guy, though. You remember the guy who did uh, Von 2 <laughs> on a Boris bike a yeah. years ago? Absolutely wild. What a disgustingly horrible way to spend 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. um, Rob, what are you up to? Bike of the year as well. Bike of the year as well, yeah. Focusing on enduro bikes. So ah. long travel mountain bikes made for rising downhill, riding back up. So they need to cover a massive amount of... Mm -hmm. I suppose a massive amount of things they need to be able to do. Yeah. Very much the, well, maybe not the Swiss Army knife. I guess that's the trail bike, mm -hmm. but they still need to do a lot of things well. Yeah. So, yeah, not quite as easy as maybe downhill bikes. Still quite a bit of pedaling. Yeah, quite a bit of pedaling. But, you know, I love it. So yeah. it's all good. Yep. Happy days. Happy days. Well, I've got the trail bikes and uh, I've gone for longer travel trail bikes this year because. Why not? Bikes, why not? I mean, a trail <laughs> bike can be everything from like a 120 mil at the back to 160 mil at the front. So, like, what do you do? So I've been, I sort of, over the last few years, I've been alternating a bit between shorter travel, lighter weight ones and longer travel, more aggro ones. And this year is a longer travel, more aggro version. So up to 160 mil forks, 140, 150 at the back. So where do they merge then? Oh, the long knows? travel trail in Enduro. Where do they just become <laughs> the same thing? Well, I guess it, where, they, where they differ is that <laughs> a bike brand will have a dedicated Enduro race bike, right? And there, that line does blur because actually sometimes people race like a, they might do a Stumpy Evo as opposed to an enduro so it is very blurred but, it's almost um, brand to brand yeah and if they if they struggle they'll just create a new category yeah you go down country or super enduro and then all of a sudden you're like what am i riding oh it's a it's a down country enduro trail bike yeah. what <laughs> just riding mountain bikes it's um yeah there's, there's great lines but we have to we you know the the beer moth that is bike road i want trail bikes so and we try to do our best explaining exactly yeah, what totally. they are. Yeah. And what they're good at. Like, I would say a trail bike has to be maybe better up a hill than an enduro bike. Absolutely. But you can get away with it being not quite as good down a hill. A bit lighter. Not going to have like a 38 mil stanchion fork on there for starters. Yeah. It's... <clears throat> you want to do your all-day trail rides, as you do on an enduro bike, but there's probably less emphasis on the downhill, which there very much is now on Enduros. Yeah, I would want my trail bikes to also be fun to ride around a trail centre blue. Yeah, basically, that's fair. Whereas I wouldn't expect an Enduro bike to be anything It'd just be a bit of a slog. Be a slog. Yeah. So There you go. Well, it's all, all covered off there for you. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of our tech Q&A podcasts where our listeners have emailed podcast at bikerider.com with a tech query uh, for Rob and or Warren to cover off. Um, if you have your own questions, if you've got anything you're wondering about, then don't forget you can email us. It's podcast at bikerider.com uh, with any of your tech Q&A questions or any suggestions or questions uh, in general about the podcast. And we do read it all. Um, so, yeah, so we've got five questions today. Uh, there's two roadie ones, two mountain bike ones, and handily one general one as well in the middle. But, of course, uh, Rob and Warren are experienced in all forms of cycling so i'm sure we'll chip in with relevant bits of advice wherever they can okay so the first question is how much difference could i really feel if i get my new race wheels built up with sapim laser or dt swiss competition spokes over a more standard sapim race or dt aero light is it worth the added expense warren um yeah i mean spokes can have a a, a major effect on how wheel feels Mm -hmm. You know, if you take it down to its most simple form, like a plain gauge spoke yep. will be much heavier than any form of butted, be it single, double, triple. Um, but it will also be laterally stiffer. So in some instances, a plain gauge spoke is probably, you know, for heavy duty kind of, you know, 
usage, a downhill bike, for instance, um, or an e-bike where you're talking about you know, really high torque or whatever, plane gauges is the way to go. And then you're you're looking at varying stages of of them getting both lighter and and with less lateral stiffness and therefore you know a bit more a bit more spring in them and mm-hmm. everything you know so a, a single butted spoke is a is is a bit lighter than a plane double more so triple everything but then when you're moving into the the sort of super light double and triple butted spokes you need to be quite careful about building them because if you over tension a, a super narrow super thin spoke uh-huh. it will twist okay and then you've got bladed bladed or overlaced aero spokes you know there's 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 plenty of data out there that will tell you that a bladed or a narrow spoke will give you an aerodynamic advantage although i think that's in a straight line in a wind tunnel or on mm-hmm. cfd etc i think in the real world it gets a it's a bit more there's a bit more for debate there because that blade is only moving in one direction if the wind's in it from the side and yeah you know you, you're looking at different things but so what i would say is like yes they can have a, a positive effect on how a wheel feels but i would say if you're you know uh, it's one of those rare occasions you're actually going to set a wheel built for you Talk to the wheel builder. Express what you want and everything. It's no, it's no good if you're like a 115 kilo, you know, sort of Clydesdale rider mm-hmm. getting a wheel set built up with triple butted spokes because they're going to just flex and right. and be all over the place. Um, you know, so it's like, what am I going to use it for? What sort of rider am I? What do I like? Mm-hmm. How do I like the feel? And then that spoke can influence mm-hmm. what you're doing. You know, and and you know, simplest terms, if you're looking at say a Sapim. Like, so the basic sapping race, I think, I think thirty-two a thirty-two spoke wheel, thirty-two sapping race spokes is about one hundred ninety two hundred grams. Okay. If you moved up to like a CX ray or or one of the lighter sapping ones, you'll knock about 50, 60 grams per okay. wheel out of that. So you'll you, you know you'll reduce it quite significantly. Yeah. And it's pretty much the same with DT. You know, mm-hmm. DT's basic race spoke and everything. The, the the sort of weight differences are very very similar. So. You know, if you're building a super light set of wheels for going uphill and, you know, conquering coals and stuff, and you're not an overly heavy rider or you're not an overly powerful rider, um, you can get away with, you know, building in that super light build. But I would say, think about what you need. Think about the sort of rider you are. Um, there's nothing worse than overspending on something that's super light and then it just performs like yeah. crap, you know, under you because, you know, it, it just wasn't wasn't designed for you. You know, and um, yeah, and I think you know, with modern hub technology, modern rim technology, um, spokes are less important than they used to be. Okay, if you know what I mean. And and you also need to. I mean, the caveat on that would be, I would always err on on a, a stiffer spoke because most road bikes and uh, now are disc brake, so mm-hmm. you've got higher torques going through. And you know, on old rim brakes, you know. I mean, I had on on like you know old rim brake bikes, which are built built up with super light spokes and super light hubs, etc. Where you get a kind of really weird kind of wheel wind up, so you uh-huh. brake hard and the bike seems to keep moving, but the tires aren't. Right. So you sort of get this kind <laughs> yeah. of bowing into it, and that can obviously be exacerbated. But on the other end, with a disc brake, you know, which obviously has more power and more, yeah, you know, more more drag onto it. Now you say that I can't remember last time I saw a radially spoked wheel. We used to get them quite a lot, right? Oh yeah, you used to get radials all the time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, radial just doesn't really. Agree with the distributor. Okay, so basically, speak to the wheel builder. Yeah. Ask them to recommend, and if they come back with like a really woolly answer, maybe find a different wheel Funded. builder. Yeah, because they should know their salt and and help with that. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The NBA playoffs are here, and we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! But, it, you know, it tends to be, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I think people can kind of look down on something where it's a plain gauge spoke or whatever. Mm. And yeah, if it's a plain gauge spoke made out of mild steel, yeah, it's going to be crud, it's going to be crap. But DT, Sapim, um you know, Will Smith and it, most of the spoke builders, you know, like Pillar and everything, most of their plain gauge spokes are built out of the same material as their high-end spokes. Right. And it's just they're built to be strong. Yeah. Different it's purposes. Diff- different mm. purpose. It's not, it's not a budgetary constraint. It's yeah. just... Intended you know, use almost. Yeah, yeah, intended use, yeah. And they happen to be cheaper because there's less goes into them. Because yeah, because they're, they're less going into the manufacturer, but they're still, you know, still made out of quality still. Yeah. Okay, great stuff. All right, then, um, moving on to Rob. Can you quickly talk me through what all the numbers mean on headsets? I'm looking at Cane Creek's web shop, and there's so many options. I'm pretty sure only one will fit whatever frame I buy. And again, this is something that I've come up across myself. It can be quite confusing. There is yeah. no one headset standard. This is a topic for another day. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of different things out there. Yeah, and the good thing with Cane Creek is they have a great explainer mm-hmm. on their site, yeah. which kind of covers off all of that stuff. But we'll run through a few bits mm. now just to try to cover it off. So first you need to kind of get your head around your head tube type. Okay. Whether it's press fit or integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have press fit, for example, you may then have zero stack or you may have external cups. Okay. So both of these are going to need pressing into the frame. Yeah. Integrated, on the other hand, is uh, where the frame manufacturer have basically fully integrated the headset races into the head tube. So it's yeah. molded around that. So you're just popping a bearing into the head tube, basically. Okay, bearing straight into head tube. Yeah, you don't, you're not pressing cups in. Yeah, They exist within that already. So then it comes to measuring mm-hmm. and how you measure. And to be fair, unless you have a vernier gauge, there's next to no point trying to do this with a mm-hmm. normal ruler because you could probably end up just ordering the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. But you want to be looking at... Um, Normally, like the inner diameter of your head tube, where you're going to expect to see measurements like 30, 34, 44, 49, 56, and 62. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, you can measure the original bearings to check, so the outside diameter of the original bearing. But I have written down an example of a headset to try and give you an idea. So it's the ZS44 slash 28.6 EC44. Right. Catchy. Yeah. No idea. So ZS44, upper headset, zero stack. Okay. 44, 44 Out, mil. Out, outside diameter. So inside diameter. Out inside diameter of the head tube. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, so it's a zero stack, mm-hmm. upper headset, 44 mil mm-hmm. to fit a 44 mil head tube. And the 28.6 is in reference to the stem clamp diameter. So what's going around the steerer. 
Right, okay, yeah. Which should be pretty standard. Yeah, which should be pretty standard, yeah. Uh, and the EC44, so it's external cup mm -hmm. with a 44mm head tube uh, in, inside. And then uh, the, the slash 40 on that is in reference to the crown race okay. diameter, which is going to go over. So it's basically what you're looking at is uh, a tapered steerer. Mm -hmm. So it starts at 28.6, finishes at 40. Mm -hmm. um, that's a fairly sort of... I'm not going to say common, but that, you know, that's, if you go onto the Cane Creek headset, uh, uh, website, sorry, that's what you're going to see, you know, the ZS yeah. followed by a number slash whatever the next number might be, which is in reference to the steer tube, mm -hmm. basically the stem clamp, where you're going to clamp your stem, followed by, it could be another ZS, so it could be another zero stack, mm -hmm. or it could be um, external cut, which again, both of these need pressing in followed by the diameter mm -hmm. that you're working towards to give you again is the internal diameter of the head tube and then reference the uh crown rest diameter so the bottom of the fork basically right. what's going to be sitting on the crown rest is going to be sitting on the on the fork crown yeah so you know whether it's um tapered or not mm -hmm. but my best advice because that was not clear in the slightest, <laughs> I'm, 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 is is to go on uh, the Cane Creek website okay. and go through that because it has it all explained. It shows you clear examples of what they are uh -huh. and you just need to try and get your head around. Okay. First thing you need to do is um, either know exactly what you need in terms of head tube mm -hmm. on your bike mm -hmm. or look on your bike brand's website. Yeah, where they should be able to tell you most things. Yeah, most of them will have them listed. And if they're not listed on the spec page, the chances are it will be within um, the tech docs. Right, okay. Tech documents, so which are normally on... a PDF or something, won't it? Yeah, it'll be a PDF, and you should be able to get information out of there. Worst case, you could call a shop, or you yeah. call the bike brand directly, or the distributor in mm -hmm. wherever country you might be, uh, and just get that info from them. And that might cut down a lot of the sleuthing that you have to yeah. do yourself. You won't have to go out and buy a vernier gauge and yeah. accurately measure old bearings or your head tube mm. or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, it, it's it's daunting and the numbers are confusing. Mm -hmm. But once you kind of have a, a, a rough grasp on what mm -hmm. it is you need specifically. Yeah. Because unless you change your bike all the time. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's a one-off, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Once you've done it once, you're good to go. So it shouldn't take too long to work out. Okay. There's a few things where you might be able to, where you might get sort of tripped up along the way. Like, so if you're maybe trying to put a headset together from bits and pieces, or if you sort of maybe don't put enough thought into it, some forks, I think it's more a road thing or gravel thing where there'd be like integrated crown races in the fork. That's not so common on mountain bikes, um, but that's something to be aware of. Also, the different bearings will have different sort of angles. Usually it's a 45 degree, but there are some where like the, there's like a chamfer on the inside of the bearing. They can differ. Uh, Yeti, for example, need a an extended top cap to drop down over the top of the bearing. They need a very quite a specific headset. Yeah. I mean, I've been testing a lot of gravel suspension forks recently, and they're all pretty much the same, bar one, which has a different angle right. taper on the bear on the lower bearing Great. than everything else. And you can probably imagine that which one that will be was it was it from our <laughs> northern um northern neighbors and no no that would be from uh you know that would that would be from a certain a u.s brand that oh, likes okay. to do things differently all right okay yeah <laughs> uh, it's also probably worth pointing out as well um depending on the bike so we'll see quite a few um more budget conscious brands use so their frames will have a tapered head tube mm -hmm. but they'll still run a narrow gauge like a, a a straight, a straight steerer. Straight steerer. So it won't be tapered. 
Yeah. Which is going to change things up. Yeah. Again. Um, and, so, and if you've got a really old bike potentially and you run it, you, you can get round certain things by running a different external headset mm. cup. And so it all, it really all does depend on the, the frame for a start mm -hmm. and then the fork and making sure you know exactly what it is you've got first yeah, and then working out what headset you need. Don't try and do it the day before a bike ride. <laughs> Not that I've ever done that. <laughs> to be honest, it's something that's pretty much disappearing on the road because okay. most frame frame now are frame frame modules. They're integrated. So you just you drop know, the bearings the, in. The, and... the, the fork is dedicated to the frame. So right, even when you're yeah. buying a frame set, headset's in it. You know, yeah. And so then you never need to look it up because you've just you've got a reference point there. Yeah. If you need a new one, oh, it's one of them. Mm. And so it, it's something that is pretty much, you know, my park headset press is just hangs on my wall know. gathering dust. Yeah. I do have a frame with, it, with an external, like a tr what I would call a traditional headset. And I, yeah, it was really easy. It just worked. It's, um, it's, I mean, pressing headsets in is super satisfying. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? But if you've got the right tool. And you're oh not yeah, yeah, yeah. In with a mallet and a yeah, board. having the right tool, and especially having like a proper like you know going back to old metal frames, having like a proper face face in a head tube is oh yeah, it was always very rewarding. Yeah, yeah. You felt like a craftsman. Yeah, <laughs> long <laughs> long gone are those days. All right, we'll move on to a bit more of a general question now. Um, so, with Isla Bikes having decided to close up shop, what other brands are out there doing decent kids bikes for my nine year old? Um, should we go to you, Rob, for this one to start? And then I'm sure, Warren, you've got Because I have kids. You do have kids, yeah. Makes me remotely qualified, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so, again, it's always dependent upon um, your intended use. Okay. And your budget. Yep. Also, maybe your frequency of use. Mm -hmm. Dependent, you, you know, I guess um, my nine-year-old probably doesn't ride her bike as much as my four-year-old. Mm -hmm. So i can invest more in his bike in theory because he's going to get more out of it yep um so it's trying to weigh all that stuff up because kids bikes now can cost okay, a small <clears throat> fortune um but okay if you're going down the route of you know isla bikes so um relatively general not necessarily mountain bike specific yep. or road bike specific they sort of just kind of covered everything the i would say the wheels and tires were maybe a little skinnier in order mm -hmm. to save weight in that vein, I would say look at brands like Ridgeback here in the UK. Generally, decently put together bikes mm -hmm. at good cost. Yeah. And they kind of cover, I mean, those guys cover pretty much everything. Mm. And they have some good sort of 26-inch wheel options, which is what I'm guessing a nine-year-old's going to be. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Frog bikes are another good one. Um, they do mountain bikes uh, and they do them with a suspension fork mm -hmm. as well, which is good and bad. It depends on the budget obviously i would say at the cheaper end of things avoiding a suspension fork yeah probably better because the chances are really cheap suspension forks in our experience i think especially on uh, the mountain bike side don't work particularly well mm. aren't always massively adjustable so especially for kids if they're lighter as well they might not be getting much out of it and they're just lugging around all that extra weight mm. for no real benefit um but then there's brands like Womb, which are really good. So actually my son's bike, his pedal bike, is a Womb bike. Okay. And when I put that together, I was I was blown away. Like Isla Bikes kind of paved the way. Yeah, yeah. And and what those guys did was incredible, absolutely incredible. And it's so nice to see so many follow suit. But um, the Womb bikes are really smart, the way they um, color coordinate uh, left and right so the kids are able to kind of huh. distinguish that stuff better. 
shapes the levers. Uh, the only thing I'd maybe say on my kid's bike is the gearing's maybe a bit high. Okay. Um, but otherwise, it's it's a solid little bit of kit and really nicely designed. So they do stuff. Uh, they do one called the Womb Off 5, which is fully rigid. So back to what we're saying, mm -hmm. rather than drop the money on a fork that doesn't work so well, go rigid, spend the money, you know, in uh, on other parts of the bike, which are going to be better catered for. Help keep the sense. weight low as well. Helps keep the weight low, which is when kids are small and you know, not as strong as adults. They don't want to be lugging that weight around. It also makes them more reluctant. Mm -hmm. In my experience, if they've got a heavy bike and they just chuck it on the floor, they're annoyed with it. They just, making it lighter just makes the whole experience easier. Yeah. So that womb off five, fully rigid. I think it's around 900 euros. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what the UK pricing is, but it looks decent. And I think, I think, think the uh oh no what i was gonna say so if if you wanted to go down the route of more mountain bike focused the likes of vitus do a mm. good really good option they do they do uh do they do your hardtail is it just a hardtail no they do a hardtail and a full sus huh so they do they do options on both those bikes in 24 and 26 okay so decent fork and they do a full suspension bike yeah. and we know their full sus stuff really good so they range from 600 to 1600 right um, depending on what you go for. And then in a similar vein, Nuke Proof, mm -hmm. they offer the Cub Scout, again, in 24 and 26. That's just a hard tail. Uh, and I think the 26-inch offering goes from 1,000 to uh, 1,250. Mm -hmm. Solid bikes. They're going to be heavier than the womb that we spoke about, hopefully more a bit more robust. And mm -hmm. if it's purely mountain biking you're looking to do, that's probably a better option. Yeah. Okay. Was well, any thoughts on that? But Rob's obviously the expert. Mm. I would say, you know, the the reason, um, you know, one of the reasons for Ida's demise was they made such good bikes that had that had an incredible resale value. Yeah. So it's an incredibly buoyant second hand market for for mm -hmm. you know kids' bikes because kids grow out of bikes. Yeah. But annoying. But personally, from like my point of view, I mean, um, and I'm pretty sure it's probably the same same for you. It's like as soon as I was kind of big enough to to handle it properly just get bmx huh. super tough super simple kids can maintain them themselves and look at all the best riders out there they, they all they, they all cut their they've all dabbled in it haven't they? you know they all cut their teeth on it on a on a yeah. bmx and that's across road mountain track you know it, it's a, they're, they're, they're great simple bikes they're easy to ride and they're easy to build skill sets mm -hmm. so and maintain and maintain well, you barely need to maintain them right mm. yeah you know, so it's kind of you'll you'll get your cycling fundamentals from 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 those. You know, right. so unless you're taking your kids to trail centres and uh, you know where you need an actual bike specific for that thing, if they just need a bike to you know bomb to or from school and ride out with their mates on. BMX. Did I come across like a kids bike subscription thing? Was it Hope? The Hope Academy. Yeah, is that still? I believe so. Yeah. So you pay, I think it's a set fee every month and you basically yeah. lease a bike. Lease a bike and then you get a new one when it when the kid grows out of it. I think so. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a waiting list on that. Oh, really? Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. If you're, if you're, you know, like a cycling family and mm. you're always out mm. and the, you know, you make like back to my original point, that sort of intended use, that sort of thinking about how much value you're going to get out of it. If you're going to drop a grand and then your kid's going to touch it once a month. Yeah. You're kind of shortchanging yourself, but if it's a weekly thing mm -hmm. and your kids are out all the time with you, then going down that route means, you know, like Ross says, when you get to the point and that they are growing out of it, which mm -hmm. they will, 
then it doesn't feel like there's a massive outlay. You're just yeah. swapping sizes around and that one. bike will go to someone else and essentially someone else, like a car lease, someone else is kind of in charge of maintaining it yeah. to a degree. Um, you know, you've got to look after upkeep and, and stuff like that as you would with a car. But when it comes to the, the big overhaul stuff at the end of that lease, they'll take care mm. of it. You just switch bikes out. You get a, an amazing bike that fits your kid. And it's a it's a it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. And those bikes are super trick, yeah, as you yeah, can yeah. imagine from Hope. Nah. They look unbelievably yeah, I'll cool. Bet. Yeah. Okay. So plenty to think about, but um, yeah. Yes. Great. Lots and, of good options. That's the main thing. Yeah. And ever more as well. Yes. You know, like Common Style, for example, they do them. Spesh had that wild like carbon fiber kids balance thousand bike. pound balance bike. <laughs> like but then, I mean, the other thing is a lot of times on on kids bikes because I've done this, I've, I've helped lots of mates out um, where they've bought their kid a bike and they're always heavy you know the, mm. the big multiple off the off, off peg ones but most of the tech that's on them is sort of slightly behind the curve mm -hmm. and so you know in like my my garages i had so many old bits and parts and old tires and stuff that you know they brought around their bike their kids bike and gone oh, it's pretty heavy and i've been able to knock like two or three kilos out of it just by junking that you know cheap seat post and i've got you know yeah, i've yeah. got a lightweight seat post knocking around mm -hmm. and you can cut it down because it doesn't need yeah, totally, you know you can yeah. just immediately just make the bike a better bike mm. without you know, with the outlay of just stuff that you've, you know, if yeah. like me, you've just got a lot of stuff lying around. And, yeah, yeah. and there's brands like SDG who make like a junior mm. kit. So you have the better shaped bars, the yeah. your more appropriate width, yeah. better size saddle, pedals, all of those things you can buy as like a great Christmas present. If, yeah. you're, if you're a parent, auntie, uncle, and your kid's into, you know, that kid's into yeah. riding, they're great little things, mm. you know, to add on. And, you know, all of a sudden, that's the thing, you know, those kids' bikes, like really cheap bikes come with, crap pedals yeah yeah yeah. that they just nail themselves on straight away because they're so slippy when they're wet yeah and you can upgrade those instantly yeah my Little nephew's like just that. got a vetus kids bike he's eight oh. quite a small eight-year-old so mm. he's just got a brand new bike his dad's just bought a vetus as well or ragley i think um because obviously quite developed at the moment but yeah like just i just sort of think oh i could be like the great uncle i haven't yeah. tried to swear yet and haven't given him alcohol yet because <laughs> he's way too young but i can give him like cool bike stuff and lots of chocolate so yeah there you go Perfect. All right then, we'll move on. Um, so I don't, I don't envy this person particularly, but uh, I seem to have found myself with an entry to the Dragon Ride Grand Fondo in June this year. I've never ridden a two hundred kilometer plus ride in my life, so I figure I probably need to get some training done over the next six months. I currently use my iPhone to track my rides, but do you think I need to invest in a proper GPS if I'm going to get serious? My riding buddy uses a power meter, and I'm looking at new bikes at the moment, some of which come with one as standard. Will my phone be able to link up to one? If not, can you recommend a fairly basic GPS unit for me? Was what do you think? Um, your phone won't. Okay. Well enough. Well enough. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. You probably can if you if you are looking at a power meter. But I would say you don't necessarily need a power meter. You just need a a, a decent training plan. Okay. You know, and Bike Radar is full of them. It, you know, Cycling Plus has really good training plan stuff almost every month. So it's actually, you know, it's it's working out and achieving that goal. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say, yeah, get a GPS. Right. You know, not only because um, you, you're getting fast information straight in front of you. It's fine, you know, sticking your phone in your pocket and recording your ride on Strava mm -hmm. or whatever, but that only sees what you did after, you know. And if you're working to a training plan where you want to keep up, you know, especially like if you're riding with heart rate or, you know, you want to keep up a certain tempo, having that information right in front of you all mm -hmm. the time is really good. A lot of the, you know, um, the, the if this if we were talking about this a few years back, I would have said, don't bother with cheap GPSs. They're all terrible. Right. You know, if, if it literally, 
it used to be if you can't afford a Garmin, keep saving. Okay. You know, um, but now there are some really good options out there. Mm -hmm. You know, Sigma Rocks is really good. Um, Hammerhead is really good. Um, Wahoo, obviously, they've always, you know, they've always done decent things. And even, you know, some of the, the, you know, the smaller sort of upcoming lands like Brighton make some really, really good, you know, really good stuff. But then, you know, if you fall back, I mean, I'm obviously, I, I tend to use Garmin most of the time um, and Hammerhead as well. But but mostly Garmin and like Garmin's latest generation software, the latest Garmin Connect, even comes with like built-in training plans. Right. Okay. You know, so if if you're if if you give it the correct data, you know, your your weight, your height, and everything, and in the sort of riding you're doing, it will literally give you a, a suggested training plan. Okay. And will that beam up onto the screen what you should? Yeah, be yeah, doing? yeah. It literally, it, it huh. would, you know, it tell you, you know, it'll give you goals and you will set your goals and do all this thing, and it'll also tell you like, you know. There's nothing worse than if you're working up to a big ride and you just think, well, what I've got to do out is go out and do loads and loads of miles. And then you end up just fatiguing yourself and, mm. and always killing yourself. So a, a, a good, um, a, a, you know, the, the best way to get the best out of training is know, knowing when to when stop to rest. Yeah. and when to rest. Your rest becomes almost as important as, as putting in the, you know, the hard efforts. Mm -hmm. And and you can, all, you know, it's it's... And it's one of those things where you you know you can overtrain and end up making yourself endurance strong, but, but deathly slow. Mm -hmm. You know, you just become a, you just turn yourself into a bit of a plodder. Mm -hmm. Which on something like the dragon ride, you probably don't want to be doing. You know, you don't want to be spending the whole day being overtaken, knowing you can achieve it. But just when I haven't got you know, yeah, you know, I've I've turned myself into a diesel truck rather mm -hmm. than a sports car. You know, it's that sort of yeah. And so I think yeah, I would say you know a, a, a GPS and a GPS, a structured training plan. Power is interesting to have, and it does work well. But you can get ninety percent of the benefits from just a, a you know cheap heart rate monitor. And every GPS out there, we'll, we'll talk It'll to. Come with a strap, won't it? Yeah, yeah, most of them come with a strap. If they don't, straps aren't expensive. Thirty, forty quid. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I and think they can work cross brands, can't they? So yeah, it's not yeah. like you're tied in. Yeah, you're not tied yeah. to anything. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's just a standard amp plus sign. Okay. Way simpler than a power meter as well. Yeah, powers, powers. You know, power. Once you get it and you understand it, it's really good because mm -hmm. it's it's one of those things that is a constant. Heart rate can be affected by a myriad of factors. Mm. Too much coffee, you're too tired. You're, you know, you're too stressed, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Whereas power is a constant, but it, it it's quite a hard thing to get your head around. Okay, you might need to invest time in. You know, it, yeah. it sounds like this. I mean, There's a lot of learning. Yeah, with with power to get the most out of it. Yeah, I guess the other thing with that is you know if they're training for a 200 kilometer ride. You're probably going to not be training on your local 10, 20 kilometer loop, at which point actually a GPS thing is going to make navigation a lot easier for those longer training rides. Whereas a phone, you're going to rinse your battery pretty quick. Generally speaking, those little GPS devices are much better for navigating mm. either or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's much better for, for also gauging. You know, mm -hmm. you, you can gauge your, it's easy to gauge your strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. You know, so because you if you're riding the same training routes all the time you've got comparative data yeah. so you can see where you're improving you know you're going oh i went up that hill faster mm -hmm. or i maintained a, a higher average speed on the flat or mm -hmm. you know it's all those things so so it's it's a lot easier to break down into okay you know what you're achieving and th and then knowing the next time the problem with doing it on your phone is it's all retrospective yeah. so afterwards you can look and go oh i I did that. Well, I did that. Whereas doing you've got it live in front of you. I know. Yeah. And also, if you're going to put your phone on your bars mm -hmm. and you crash, phones mm -hmm. are more expensive to replace. Yeah. Yeah. And big square. And massive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you don't, you know, I, I guess it's very easy to sort of look at GPSs and think, oh, I've got to get like a Garmin 1030 plus. But 
a 530 plus that sort yeah, of yeah yeah i mean that's thing. the thing is like you know garmin like all those tech companies out there if we're just talking specifically garmin like the latest generation the 1040 the 840 they're awesome mm. but the old 830 which has now been hugely discounted or the old 530 instead of the 540 or the 1030 right. these are all hugely discounted they were like 600 quid you know yeah. the top end 1030 was like a 600 quid computer mm. now you can pick them up for a couple of hundred mm-hmm. you know and if you shop around again all those people that have upgraded the second our market's flooded with yeah with older GPS. Yeah. And and so and they do ninety nine percent of what the modern one can. Mm-hmm. They just do it with, you know, slightly crappier graphics. Yeah. And, and that's really not that important, you know. Yeah. Great stuff. Okay then. So we'll move on to our last question, which is if there were two identical bikes but one was a four bar and the other was a single pivot with a linkage driven shock, I guess you call that a faux bar, which would you choose, Rob? Which would I choose? Um or does it matter? No, not really, because mm. it's sort of the prettiest color. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it depends what you know what you're looking to get out of it. I think so much is going to be dependent on the kinematics and what the engineers have built into mm-hmm. it and how it behaves on the trail. My advice with any of these things would be try and ride them. Okay, back to back, ideally, um, but do a demo, mm-hmm. ride the bikes, get a feel for it. They could be that they're depending on the you know we've ridden bikes in the past maybe where in theory yeah that four bar bike should be able to you know isolate braking forces pedaling forces do all of this but if the brand's screwed up the shock tune and it rides like a dog Mm. then it's kind of like yeah great all those promises you know it's just marketing hype Mm -hmm. so it's very much down to you know proof in the pudding yeah stuff like that um I'd say it's very rare you're going to have two identical bikes with exactly the same mm-hmm. everything. So if you're out shopping, I would go and look at geometry first, yeah, spec, price, and weigh those things up. Which mm-hmm. of those, you know, what matters most to you? Getting the geometry right, getting the spec right that you want, obviously reading all the bike radar reviews where mm-hmm. we've probably covered the bike in mm-hmm. the past. But, you know... Um, Single pivot bikes with a linkage can work incredibly well. Yeah. Those, we have tons and tons of examples. Marin Kona mm. have done it for years and those bikes always review really well. Yeah. They, they perform brilliantly. Likewise, you know, since the patent for the specialized, you know, FSR horse link ran out in 2013, I think it was, mm. the market is flooded with good four bar bike. Yeah. There are so many out there. It's, I think, you know, we've said it in another podcast, there's not many bad bikes out there now. Mm. So many are, are really, really good. So it is just drilling down on those details, mm-hmm. working out exactly what you want from the bike and weighing up things like, the, you know, the real sort of foundations, the the geometry. You know, you can change. You can't change the kinematic of the bike. You can change the behavior by tuning the shock. Mm-hmm for example, um, but you can't change geometry. Geometry yeah. is more or less fixed. Okay, you can maybe do half a degree here, half a degree there with um, offset bearings and offset um, headset cup. Mm. But ultimately, that's the that's the fundamental. That's the thing you need right first. You could have a, you know, the most amazing suspension design ever, mm-hmm. but if the geometry is terrible... It doesn't really matter. What's the point? Yeah. I guess like this sort of question often comes from... You know, when Spech had that uh, that horse link patent, no one else was really allowed it. And it sort of almost elevated into this, like, mythical, like, the pivot placement of this is, is incredible. Whereas actually, like you said, you know, I rode a Marin last year in, in Trail Bike of the Year, which has got a, you know, it's a single pivot, 
Fobar, whatever you want to call mm. it, tracked the ground so well. It was amazing in the right place. And I guess, yeah, it's, it's easy maybe to get hung up on those little de- details. And while they do matter and you can get it wrong, they're not always entirely fundamental to the overall performance of the bike. Is there something in, you know, coming from something outside of modern mountain bikes, is there something in, like I've, you know, I've said it before about gravel bikes and road bikes, et cetera, just forgetting the technology that's mm. particular brand of bikes, just being honest with yourself on what you need, mm. you know, think- and, and buying the bike that suits you, you best. Because, you know, from my sort of, you know, regular gravel excursions, I, I, I lose time, you know, track of the amount of times I'll ride past, you know, mountain bikers route riding the same trails as me and I'm on a gravel bike. Mm. And I'm just going, you are so overbiked. Mm. You can't be having a good day because, you know, you're, you're basically riding byways and bridleways on mm. an enduro bike. Yeah. Mm. And you look like you're suffering. Yeah. And you shouldn't be suffering. There's, there's always the argument of like, do you buy the bike for the most extreme stuff you ride or the stuff you ride most of the time? You know, and, and that definitely goes into it. There's also, you know, like Luke Marshall who, who works with us, you know, he's got a, a thought at the moment of, you know, bikes are so good buy a bike based on kind of what you need, but also like what you like. Yeah, you know, totally. If you like the look of it, and if you think, you, you know, the shop you're buying it from is like decent or like you think the, the color's cool or you like the fact that it's got, you know, f- orange fox forks on there or a, a red coil shock, you know, whatever it might be, it's probably going to be all right. Well, just buy it, you know, because there aren't rubbish bikes out there really at the moment. No, there's not. And I think, um, I, again, you, you, you know, you said about um, riding that Marin last year, we had Kotix in Bike of the Year as well. So Single good. pivot. Right, exactly. And yeah. and the thing is, you know, um, maybe in certain situations and very, I mean, really specific mm. scenarios where you're dragging brakes down a really rough section of track, maybe they're not quite as smooth as some four-bar bikes, yeah. for example. But they're relatively isolated scenarios. Mm. And a lot of the time, the benefits of how they ride will outweigh any of those small mm. negative and they're not even negative they're just, just different traits yeah. right so i think a bit of what was says and you know being honest with yourself making sure you're doing that back to getting the fundamentals right for you mm-hmm. and and making sure you're not just buying into whatever it is brands are saying yeah. that's really important yeah because there are so many good bikes and i think we've you know the the single pivot linkage driven thing it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. So it's... So if you're talking something that's like multiple pivots, multiple linkage, everything, I, I, I'd I, imagine that means you've got to be a lot more fastidious on maintenance and upkeep. So if you're somebody who's a bit maintenance phobic mm-hmm. or not particularly fastidious, I'm looking at you, Tom, <laughs> directly there, would something like a single pivot with a with a linkage be a better option because it's, the, the maintenance scheduling wouldn't be quite as I think you sort involved? Of- there's an element of like brand specificity on that because there are brands that do a better job of sealing their bearings than others. Mm. Um, I think if it was me going into it, like I would, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't buy the most complex linkages because there are so many to sort of sort out potentially there. I think, you know, four bar versus a, a faux bar, probably a similar number unless you're going something pretty wild. There, there has always been that sort of draw towards an orange. I was about which is a proper single pivot where yeah. there are two bearings. Well, like, I mean, I was about three. to say when I bought I bought an orange back mm-hmm. in the day, and you know, aside from the fact that Steve Pete was riding them, mm-hmm. making them look super cool, the fact that I only had two bearings to look after, mm-hmm. so once a year I would just smack them out and put two new ones in. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. It's I guess as simple as it. Well, it's kind of yeah, like the, you know, because I 
Like Santa Cruz, you know, I had a yeah. big single pivot, you know, Super 8. Yeah, okay, yeah. And, and Super that, Light was the same as well, yeah. right? Like just super, super simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and think, then, and then, you know, it's like when when Santa Cruz came out with like the VPP and APP, and like, suddenly, oh god, you've just got complex now. Yeah, I just yeah, like yeah. this big girder off the back of it. But at least they put grease ports thing. in. They put grease ports yeah, yeah. in, which is great. Yeah, and, that, yeah, yeah. and it's looking for those details when you are looking at a more complex design. It's like, can I access the bearings? Mm-hmm. Do I need? You know, I, I'm not going to name the bike, but there was one where I needed to change a coil shock, and to do that, I had to take the chain set off to access the shock mm. bolt. And at that point, you're just, you know, yeah, yeah, pulling your hair out. So it's kind of weighing up all of those things, like mm-hmm. what's said about maintenance and stuff like that, working it all out. But in, in terms of performance, I think you just don't need to worry. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's always going to be an investment buying a new bike. So do your research when it comes to reading up on reviews, but don't just uh, necessarily pigeonhole bikes yeah. by their design. Yeah. Cool. All right, then. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks ever so much, Rob and Warren, for your inputs and answering some questions there. Um, we'll be back for another tech Q&A in approximately a month to five or six weeks, depending on when I schedule it. But in the meantime, don't forget, you can email us your questions to podcast at bikeradio.com. And we'll be back in a couple of days with another episode of the podcast. So thanks very much for listening. Cheers, Tom. Next time. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 